0: Good evening to one and all here tonight, and to those joining with us on our podcast service, welcome to the house of God, and welcome to our family here at Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre, where we believe that a church alive is worth the drive, amen. If you've flown in tonight, a church of might is worth the flight, and uh, there's going to come a day when people are going to fly into this place, I believe, for a, a move of God. I'd like, if you would, to turn into the book of Ecclesiastes, And go to uh, chapter 3, if you would. Ecclesiastes is an amazing book written by Solomon. And uh, and he starts off with almost saying, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. This is Solomon in his last days. He had all the riches in the world. He had all the palaces. He had all the women and he had all the horses. But he realized without a relationship with God, he had nothing. And uh, isn't that true? That's what Solomon, the the man who was the wealthiest man who ever lived and ever lived since, and yet he said, "Without God, everything is in vain." But in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, and it starts off a a book called Tale of Two Cities, a very very old classic, started off with some of these verses, and it said, "To everything there is a a season, a time for every purpose." under heaven. And you'll know some of these verses. It says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. We know these ones, don't we? A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. I won't go through all of it, but it goes down into chapter 3 and verse 7 and it says, there's a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Isn't that a good one for this age in which we live? There is a time to keep silence and there is a time to speak. And in verse 11, he says, uh, he has made everything, that being God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. And so we see that God has placed eternity into the hearts of men and so throughout all the nations of the earth, people speak of an afterlife. Half of our stories and shows on TV speak of the supernatural, meaning that birth within every single person is this supernatural desire to know something more. We know that person to be God. And so he has made everything beautiful in its time. The title of my message tonight is a time to keep silence and a time to speak, and Esther a book for our times. Who knows that the book of Esther is a book for our times today? In 1st Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, it says the sons of Ishiachar who had understanding of the times to know is what Israel ought to do. Isn't that interesting? Many people quoting about the sons of Ishakar fail to mention the following verse, which is 33. Many people, when they talk about prophecy and all these sort of things, talk about uh, that, that verse. But it says in verse 33 uh, that stout-hearted men could keep ranks. They were describing the sons of Ishakar. They also knew the times and the seasons but were also stout-hearted men who could keep ranks. So here in these two verses, these sons of Ishakar is described as men who not only had understanding of the times. Who knows that in this day and age, we need understanding of the times. We need an, uh, heavenly wisdom, not just intellect. Intellect is one thing, but wisdom is from above. But were are also stout-hearted, In other words, that they were bold, they were brave, they were courageous, they were dauntless, fearless, gallant, they were great-hearted, they were gutsy and heroic, they were intrepid, lion-hearted, manful, stalwart, stout, undauntable, valiant and valorous. These are all the words meaning stout-hearted. So having all these attributes, these men of Issachar, they were not just men with brawn, but they were men with brawn as well as brains, Amen. Isn't it good to have men who are not just brawn, but have got brains as well? Or isn't it good for somebody to have brains to have brawn as well? That's a good package deal, isn't it? Got to marry that one, ladies. But having understanding of the times. And not only were these men possessors of brawn and brains, but they were men who could keep ranks. Isn't that an unusual attribute today? They knew their place and they kept to their place. It says that they knew their ranks or that they could keep ranks. Who knows to have all the brawn but won't be obedient to one instruction and you've got a loose cannon on your hands. What about somebody who has all the intellect in the world but won't keep rank? They're rogue people, amen? We call people like that uh, uh, despots when they became, become under rulership. So. But these sons of Ishika, they knew their place and they knew how to keep their place. They, the sons of Ishika knew the times and the seasons. They were men of brawn and brains, but they were team players and they knew authority knowing who they were ranked to. It's good when you're in authority, a person of authority or recognises authority when he walks into a situation, he'll automatically look for someone who's in authority. He works with authority and knows how to work under authority. That's something that is fairly void in this day and age because we're all such independent spirits. We don't want to beckon or to bow down to any authority because of mistrust with institutions and everything else. But because of the abuse of authority, men have done away with and dispensed with any form of authority altogether. And as a community, we are all weakened by this breach. And it is a breach. No longer can we raise up children trusting policemen. Or trusting sometimes churchmen even in, in terrible situations. So the sons of Ishikar had their brawn and they had brains and they were disciplined and recognised and worked as a team. I learned long ago, years ago, that teams uh, represents together, everyone achieves more. That's what team is all about. That's what working as a body, the body of Christ is all about. Not everybody can be an eye, not everybody can be a foot or a toe or a head or anything like that, but when we come together, every, together everyone achieves more. I'd like if you will turn, turn to the book of Esther, and it's the other book in the Bible other than the Song of Songs, which I spoke about on Sunday, and I'm also going to be ministering God willing, if the Holy Spirit allows me to minister again this Sunday. So I'd love if you would turn into the book of Esther. And Esther contains eight chapters. Who here has read the book of Esther? It's a beautiful book. It's a great book, isn't it? And uh, it's a great story. And so to return to the te- to the theme, Esther is a book for our times. <coughs> a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And so we see Esther is a cousin to an older Mordecai. And uh, he raised her when her parents were killed. And so in the book of Esther, we know that after the Queen Vashti was uh, uh, the king, Ashesverus, he divorced his wife. Uh, There was uh, an issue there with her. And so he divorced her. And so a a search was made throughout the kingdom to find a woman who would be uh, King Ashesverus' new wife, and so, all the beautiful maidens and virgins from the entire kingdom of the Persian kingdom, the Persian kingdom was vast, covering from North Africa right through and uh, right to the far, far east. And it included 127 provinces. And there were 127 satraps or leaders of those provinces. And so, a great search was made throughout all the kingdom, and all the beautiful young maidens were brought to see if they would qualify to be the next king's wife and so we see that uh, uh Esther is her, her name actually is Hadassah and they lived in the city of Shushan and uh, which was in the Persian Empire and they were the remnant of the exiles from they were taken from Jerusalem and Israel itself and they were exiled to Babylon and in throughout the Persian Empire and uh And so she was a Jewish girl. And so uh, her cousin Mordecai, a very, very wise man, a very, very astute man, a very respected man amongst the Jewish community. And he said to Esther, there is a time to keep silent about your heritage being Jewish, meaning really that it could be dangerous for you if it had been made known, if you were brought into the king's palace and you would reveal your identity and your heritage. And so she was asked to be, keep silence, or to keep silent about that. And so exercising wisdom, she did not disclose her identity. And so I'm talking about tonight, there is a time to keep silent, and there is a time to speak, because we're living in the days where it will require a great deal of wisdom to survive in these coming years, and there will be good times to speak, and there will be good times to zip it, amen? Amen. Who knows it's a good time sometimes to zip it. When you choose your battles, choose your fights, you just zip it, don't you? you with everything within you, you want to blurt out stuff that is bur- that is within you, sometimes in anger or something like that. But wisdom says, wisdom says to keep your mouth shut. And at the other times, there is a time to speak. And the Bible says it's actually sinful if you do not speak. It, to- it talks about that. And it talks about speaking up for those who are widows and orphans, those who, when you're in a a position of strength, to speak up on behalf of those who have no strength. And the Bible says that it's good for us to do that. In fact, it's the right thing. But um, there is a time to keep silence. And so in Esther 2.10, we read that Esther had not revealed her people or family for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And so she was a woman who was wise and she took advice and she kept rank. She knew who who was her spiritual authority, her older cousin Mordecai, who had raised her, gave her advice and she was a young woman and she took his advice. Who knows that young women these days need to take advice of the older woman, the men or the older people in their families. Oh, it's a good lesson for us all, isn't it? We don't like to. T- we're a generation who doesn't like to take advice from anybody. We're so independent, well, we're so strong-willed, and we're proud of it. But really, we're rebellious in every way, in every biblical way you could think of. In in uh, in Esther two twenty, let's go to there right now, and uh, it says now Esther had not revealed her family and her people. This is in tw- two twenty, so this is going on a little bit. Just as Mordecai had charged her, he said, don't reveal, zip it. He said, keep your mouth closed in regard to your heritage. And Esther obeyed the commandment of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. And so isn't that good that she, uh, uh, she was obedient to what Mordecai had asked of her? In James 1.19, I'm just going to pop through a couple of scriptures here. Uh, to talk about when it's good times in life to keep our mouths closed and so in the book of James in the New Testament that's the Lord's brother speaking he said so then my brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak that's slow to speak amen we need to be slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God in other words, giving yourself time to process everything that is coming your way, it's great to count to 10 before you open your mouth, if you open your mouth at all. First Peter 3.10, let's go to that one. <coughs> I'll move through these fairly quickly. And we see that uh, in verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, when it's really coming at your way in the workplace. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If I have a tendency to speak immediately when confronted by a situation, it's called knee-jerk reactions. And they're rarely ever any good. Rarely are they ever any good. Even in the home front. Neen, jerk reactions do not work for me. Amen? I make that mistake from time to time. Isn't that right, Jules? So Proverbs 10.9, there's a good... And uh, I was talking to a young man today, and I said, the the book of Proverbs is for you. It talks about the way of folly, and it talks about the way of wisdom. And uh, they are contrary to one another. But the book of Proverbs... 31 chapters, says so there's a chapter for a day. Every day of the month, there's a chapter of Proverbs for us. If you want to sow wisdom into your life, sow the book of Proverbs. And so here we have in Proverbs 10 and verse 9, "'He who walks with integrity walks securely, "'but he who perverts his way will become known. "'And uh, I don't. he who winks with his eye causes trouble, "'but a pratting fool will fall.'" And so, somebody who's racing off at the mouth, he's end. Just watch this space. That's what we say, doesn't Because somebody's raving on, he's continuously. It's a lifestyle. You just say, watch this space, because we reap what we sow. That's true, isn't it? If you sow peace, you will have the, you will reap peace. And so, uh, Proverbs ten nineteen, I'm whizzing through a couple more here. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise, and so we see Esther restraining her lips, and it was wise counsel for her. It was wise at this time of her life just to remain silent. was it was it deceptive or anything like that? No, it wasn't. It was just wise for her to do so. Proverbs eleven twelve is another one here, and uh, I'll come to it. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor but a man of understanding holds his peace that's a good one isn't it a man of understanding holds his peace he lets his words be few and uh, it came to remembrance it's best to be thought of a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt (laughs) that's true isn't it it's best best to be thought of a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt And so sometimes just remaining silent is the best course of action. Don't argue with a fool because from a distance people can't tell the difference. (laughs) I learned that one years ago. And uh, sometimes it's just not worth the effort to argue with people who are void of any form of wisdom. Just walk away. Walk away is the best course of action. And so the other part of uh, Esther's life that I really love, I'll come back to the book of Esther now again, in fact, that she, uh, she obtained favour wherever she went. And you can see that uh, uh, favour is given to your life, it's a bit like gifts or the anointing of God. God gives you gifts and uh, the anointing over your life on certain gifts, but they are generally not for you, but they are for you to operate for the benefit of others. And favour is like that. When you find favour on your life, to come here, to do this, to do this, to do that, maybe you have favour on you to obtain wealth, And but generally it is not for you, but it is for the benefit of the body of Christ and so extended to you to establish God's kingdom. God was doing something in Esther's life for the benefit of all the Jewish people. We know the story how she redeemed the Jewish people from the whole of the 127 provinces, the vast territory of the Persian Empire. It was vast, vast. A quarter of the world's population probably lived and died under the rule of that king, his vast influence. And so in Esther 2.9, we see... Now the young woman pleased him, that's Haggai, the custodian of the women. And so she sought his favour and gained his favour. She found favour with the people directly there. And so don't ever despise the day of small beginnings. Wherever you find your life, seek the favour of wherever you are at that point in time. In Esther 2.15, I'll go to there now and read that. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the woman, advised. And so she was a woman. She was a wise woman. She was willing to take advice, and she was willing to gain the favor directly. Some people couldn't give two hoots about the people they're with and make no effort to get on with people and gain their favour. They just don't even consider it worthwhile even having. But for us Christians and as believers in the workplace, in this community, it's good for us to have favour with the politicians. It's good to have favour with the council. It's good to have favour in the business community. And as a church and community church, we want to be a blessing to this community, and in doing so... Wisdom builds the house, we gain favour with the community in which we live. I remember there was a a scripture that says, Seek the peace peace of the city where I have caused you to live, for in its peace you will have peace. And that was the advice given to the children of Israel when they were in exile in Babylon. They were there for no less than 70 years and a lot never ever returned home, only about a third did. But the advice to the children of Israel when they were going into exile was, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be, for in its peace you will have peace. In other words, seeking the favour of wherever you live, for in it you will have a peaceful life. And so we see in in verse 15, And and Esther obtained favour in the sight of all who saw her. So now she had favor with Haggai, the guy who looked after all the women, and now she has favor with all those uh, who saw her. And the king loved Esther more than all the other woman, women, and she obtained a grace and a favor in his sight. You see that? She progressively sought favor and influence wherever she was. And so that's what we should do as well. It's a great advice, great advice. And so, uh, so that's uh, 217. So she had favour with Haggai, she had favour with everybody whom she met, and she had favour with the king. And so in regard to that first scripture, who are you ranked to today? To recognise authority, uh, who are you ranked to? In the military, they go, who are you ranked to? If you, I don't know much about the military, but I know that a private basically is ranked to everybody else. There's people above him everywhere, and uh, but as you go up the ladder, there's still people above you, and you know it's good to know who you are ranked to, uh, to give uh, uh, to give honor to whom honor is due. It's just something that's wise. In this book of Esther, we see that Haman, uh, who was an ancient who came from a hereditary line that was opposed to the children of Israel, uh, uh, the Agagite. Uh, uh, Haman the Agagite and he was, a, he was a descendant of King Amalek who and Amalek himself was the grandson of Esau who despised his birthright, had no regard for God and the Bible says that God hated Esau because he had just had no regard, he sold his birthright, in other words he didn't hold it of great esteem or high value, he'd never treasured it and so he just sold it off for a, for a meal and something to drink at the time and so there was an old hatred uh, between uh, the Jewish people and the Amalekites. And Haman was a descendant of King Amalek. And so he, the, an old hatred was infused into this situation. We know Haman uh, became an enemy of, of Mordecai. And uh, the, they infuriated him. And not only did Haman want to destroy Mordecai's life... But he wanted to destroy the Jewish people and uh, the Bible says very explicitly that he wanted to annihilate all the Jewish people. And that has been, uh, since the Jewish people have come into existence, there has never been a a, a group of people who someone has wanted to annihilate like the Jewish people. And even these last couple of months, or sorry, the last month has been an indication of just how real that hatred is that ancient hatred can, is, is all about and it traces its roots exactly to where i'm speaking of here it, they can be traced all that way back to there and so haman wanted to, he had a plot put together where the all the jews living in those 127 provinces of persia the greatest uh, civilization up until that point in time was the persian empire and they were wanting to annihilate all the jewish people in that reason in that region and so this brings us now to the second point that i want to come to and there is that there is a time to speak there is a time to be quiet in life and there is definitely a time to speak to pay a personal cost to see a corporate benefit and and esther was put into a position that if she did not speak, the Jewish people would have been annihilated and the blood would have been on her head. And her her cousin Mordecai said to them, if you remain completely silent at this time, this is written in Esther and chapter four and verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And God, when he wants to bring deliverance to the people, it is an opportunity for us to do the Lord's bidding. And if we will not do the Lord's bidding, the Lord will hold us accountable. It's been like a watchman on the wall who fails to sound or blow the shofar or the trumpet when an enemy is is on, on the advance. How could we be silent? Could you be silent when your neighbor's house is burning down? And that's how God sees it. And he says, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We're living in a time for such a time as this. And we have been bombarded by things all around us on a daily basis throughout the day when you turn on the news. And there will be, we need to know, we need to have the wisdom of heaven to know when to speak and when to be silent. If we are to thrive in this situation, times of great pressure on the earth always usher in the kingdom of heaven. I've been following the old World War II documentary, The World at War of recent weeks. And I'm fine, even in Russia, when, when atheism was promoted through that whole communist system, but in those days when Stalingrad was, uh, Leningrad was totally surrounded and besieged for two years, the churches were full, because that was such a time as this. Even uh, atheism it was very difficult to be a Christian in those years of athe- communistic, atheistic Russia. Communism and atheism seemed to go hand in hand. But isn't it amazing? When the pressure's really on, and for two years they were bombed and starved and everything else, every atrocious thing that you could possibly think of happened in Stalingrad and Leningrad even as well. But in those times of great and immense pressure, the churches were full and people were encouraged to go to church at that time. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story in the fact that when the pressure's on in in life... God is always a refuge for us and people return to the household of faith when the pressures on and in these days and years that are coming upon the earth this the churches throughout this whole region are going to be absolutely packed to the gills and people will again find the faith of their fathers and that is that is the plan of God to see a people redeemed for his plan for his purpose but there was a time to speak for Esther and she had to pay a personal cost to see a corporate benefit. It was very difficult. She said, if I die, I die. To go into the king's presence, unless the scepter, that was the golden stick with a sort of like a golden thing on the end of it, unless it was pointed towards you, you found no favour in the king's eyes and you would perish. You only approached the king when he, you were asked for. And so was the place for Esther. Esther's response, if I perish, I perish. But Esther was stout-hearted. She was, wasn't she? And so these same attributes, Esther speaks with wisdom in Esther 5.4. In Esther 5.8, she draws on the king's favour. And she said, if if I have found favour in the king's sight. And she petitions the king and Haman to a banquet so she can tell them of the plight. That she, in fact, herself was Jewish and that her people were, uh, uh, were, uh, de- uh, they were designed, the edict went out that all the Jewish people should perish. But she stood in the gap knowing that her, old, uh, that her own life was on the line. Knowing wisdom, this sort of wisdom, knowing when to speak and when knowing when to refrain from speaking, we're all going to have to know in these coming years ahead to pick your battles And uh, rest in God. God brings forth his heroes and heroines at the appointed time. Nothing surprises God. There is nothing new under the sun, says the book of Ecclesiastes. Nothing. There is nothing new. God prepares, God delivers, and God saves. That's what he does. And Joseph sold as a slave into Egypt so he would set free an empire from, sell, from starvation. There was an appointed time and God raised up a Joseph for that time to d- d- deliver bread in the starving kingdom of Egypt, which at that time was vast. Moses was drawn out of the Nile that he might draw out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt and deliver three, three and a half million people from slavery. Moses drawn out of a river. Delivering and drawing out three, three and a half million people out of slavery. Nothing surprises God. God is always raising up at the appointed time. And for us to know when to speak and not to speak will, will de- depend on uh, uh, the wisdom that is imparted to you to know when to speak and not to speak will determine the outcome whether people are saved and delivered. Amen? And so uh, I believe the Lord has laid upon our hearts that. There is exciting days for us ahead. God raised up a Daniel in Babylon, amen? And he was an advisor to four or five kings in Babylon. God raised up a Nehemiah in the Persian kingdom, in Susa. Esther was raised up in a strategic time and place, and she knew when to be silent, and she knew when to speak. And wisdom prevailed in this situation. And it says the the feast or the uh, celebration of Purim, which they still celebrate in Israel to this very, very day. They still celebrate Purim, which is the casting of the lot. And and it's over a two-day period in some areas. And literally the whole of the Jewish race at that time was saved from annihilation because of a strategic woman called Esther who knew when to speak and when not to speak. She was able to take advice from those in authority over her. She knew who she was ranked to. There is a spiritual authority. It's not very much respected these days, but there is a spiritual authority. And uh, but anyway, let's stand to our feet today. And I ask Jules just to come to the keys just for a little bit. You think it's a beautiful message—the message of Esther—and I found in our Christian life. We learn things line upon line, precept upon precept, increment by increment. We are taken from glory to glory. And God gives us morsels just like this tonight so that we can grow in God. We don't grow in God overnight. We grow incrementally. And he knows exactly what we can handle at this time. I believe the Lord imparted this (coughs) word to me and for a reason. And uh, I feel again... Uh, we know that the existence of the Jewish people, there, have been, there are millions across the earth this very night who are calling for their annihilation and an extermination. And it's not even hidden anymore. At least in Nazi Germany, they made some effort to conceal what they wanted to do. But we see even open in our own streets here in Australia, people filled with a, an ancient hatred for these people. And so we're going to pray for Israel And we're going to pray specifically for the Jewish people here in Australia tonight. Amen. Would you join me with that prayer? I pray that you have an affection. The Bible says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so there comes a blessing upon you individually. And there comes a blessing upon this church as we gather together. And bring the apple of God's eye, the Jewish people, before God's throne of grace. And we pray for you. The hedge of protection would be around them, Lord God, tonight in Jesus' name. We bring the Jewish people. Let's pray passionately right now. We bring this Jewish people before your throne of grace. Father, we pray, command your ministering angels, Lord God, concerning them. Haman uh, constructed gallows. The man who wanted to annihilate the Jewish people. But on those same gallows, he and his ten sons were hung. It's amazing, isn't it? He says, you don't touch the apple of God's eye without a retribution. The Lord says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so, Father, we pray for the blessing of God to be upon the Jewish people in this land who have come to this place as a place of refuge as they come to this place of safe haven, a safe city as they had in their land of old. We pray for your hedge of protection. We pray for the favour of God and the favour of government to rest upon them, Lord God, this day. And we pray the divine hand of God will make a way for this people. Many will want to make alia, which means to go back to their ancient homeland of Israel which God has deeded to them in the word of God in Genesis chapter 15 and 17 and other places, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be given to the Jewish people and to their descendants for all time, and that Jerusalem is the capital of God's city, and the United Nations cannot reverse what God has already declared to be so. And Father, we come into agreement with your word And we pray, Lord God, this night, let the hand of the Lord, Father, be upon the Jewish people in this land. Make a way for them, Lord. If there is any way, Lord, that we can bless them, Father, reveal to us this day. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for this word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You lead us in the last song there.